Welcome to The Smart Blueprint, starting and growing a small business in uncertain times. Today, I'm gonna to teach you how to start a business, how to grow a business, and I'm gonna teach you how to overcome extraordinary challenges along the way. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. First, I want to tell you a little bit about myself in case you don't know my backstory. I grew up on a government project in the UK. Now, these things are called council estates. It's essentially subsidized housing for people that don't have much money. The reason we didn't have much money was because my dad was a janitor and my mom was a stripper. Now, when you're living on that kind of income, you need state welfare to help you. And they basically help by putting you in these uh, homes with a whole bunch of other people that just don't have much money. It was a dangerous neighborhood. You really, weren't you really didn't have many opportunities to, to succeed. And they kind of just assumed that you would end up being a nobody. Um, the thing that I did to cope with living in that environment, uh, I didn't end up hanging out with the gangs on the streets. I didn't go and do drugs or any of that other stuff. I didn't cause trouble. I focused on escapism and imagination. That meant I spent my days sitting indoors, no matter how sunny it was outside, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons, playing Warhammer 40,000, playing Magic the Gathering, essentially being a nerd. That's what I did. I sat indoors doing all of those things. Now, I'd love to say that I sat indoors playing video games, but video games were a luxury that I really just couldn't afford. They were very expensive for me. Buying a game console when I was a kid was just something you hoped to get for Christmas. And there were many years when my parents would come to me and say, I know you really want that Sega Mega Drive, but we can't buy it for you because funds just don't allow um, and I remember all my friends got all the game consoles first and they were talking about them and I would be sitting there playing on my spectrum while they were playing, you know, Super Nintendo because I just couldn't afford to get hold of it. With that being said, um, I always wanted to be a hard worker. Um, I needed to be a hard worker in order to buy nerdy things. Nerdy hobbies can actually be quite expensive. Once you have the Dungeons and Dragons books, then of course you don't need to buy anything. You can just sit and play with them over and over again. But the books themselves cost 50 pounds each and three books, it's 150 pounds. So you've got to get the money from somewhere. And I was down to make money in any way I could so it would feed my nerdy little hobby. And that meant I got my very first job at the age of 11 as a mover. Now, uh, what I mean by mover is a furniture mover. So I worked with a local furniture company because that was kind of one of the only jobs that was around. And I would carry the little bags, basically running backwards and forwards with anything that would fit in my little 11 year old arms while the adults carried the furniture. Now, um, I wouldn't get paid for that, obviously, because I was too young to work. What they would do is they would give me tips if we got some. I learned nice and early that the only way I got paid is if we as a team got tips. That meant if one of the workers who was a fully grown adult upset somebody and we didn't get a tip, I didn't get paid. So I learned to be smart with my words. I learned to cover up for other people's mistakes. I learned to run while carrying heavy things because I wanted to move as fast as possible because if we managed to get an entire house done in a morning, we could do a second house in the afternoon and there was a chance that I would get paid twice. I also learned earlier on at the age of 11 that sometimes you can work really hard and get paid nothing. And the only people that understand that are people that work for commission or business owners. So really without realizing it, my brain was getting a real first taste of what it means to be a business owner. But the person that interested me the most was the owner of the company. The owner of the company was the hardest working, 
He was always the friendliest and he was the one with the money. And I saw this nice and young at an early age. And I realized that that was the man with the power. And if I wanted to have any control or any power in my life, I would need to become that man. I wanted to start my own business. So my very first business, I started at the age of 18. So I'd had seven years of working as a mover. And like I said, I was a complete nerd. I liked playing Warhammer and Dungeons and Dragons. And one of the coolest things that I really loved doing was live action role play. So I'm aware that you're probably going to make fun of me now, but let me describe what live action role play is in case you don't know what it is. It's people playing Dungeons and Dragons by dressing up in costumes with foam rubber swords, running around a forest and hitting each other, pretending to be elves and dwarves and wizards and going on adventures. I'd been doing this for years. I started it at the age of 15 when I realized that there was a whole other level of Dungeons and Dragons that you could do. And my very first business at the age of 18 was organizing live action role play events for groups of people. Um, and it would actually pay pretty well. I'm gonna say pretty well. I could get 200 pound for a single day of work by organizing a live action role play adventure for bachelors at a bachelor party who wanted to spend the day running around the forest hitting each other with swords and then spend an evening out at a strip club the day before they get married. And uh, I would do that, you know, two, three times a month. And uh, for an 18-year-old guy, with that being, uh, you know, a, a job that I could do on the weekend while I was going to school and also working retail during the week, it was a great boost of money. More importantly, I got paid to do something I love. And it was my dad that taught me this lesson. I'm going to give you this lesson because I think it's the most important business lesson. So make sure you pay attention and write this down. If you enjoy what you do for a living, you will never work a day in your life. And I found that the, the whole purpose of doing retail was to make money, but I did that just to get by. That was just to pay my bills. The sword fighting stuff I did on the weekend, I did for love. I did because I enjoyed it. And I got paid a lot more for a single day of doing sword fighting than I did for an entire week of working retail. I loved live role play so much that I eventually decided that I wanted my day job to be live role play as well. And I found a company that made live action role play swords and they also made movie props. This was like my dream company. I begged them for a job day after day after day until they gave in, they gave me a job cleaning the floors and I worked my way up. The problem was this company was actually in a lot of financial trouble. I didn't know that, I just knew that I wanted to work there. I knew that I wanted to do this. So I decided once again that I would take it upon myself to fix it. I stopped running my own events on the weekend and instead on the weekends, I took over their sales department, which they didn't actually have. So that meant during the week, I was making swords and movie props. We got to work on things like Gladiator and Lord of the Rings, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. But in addition, um, on the weekends, I would do phone sales and I would phone companies up and try and make big sales for a company. Um, I got so good at making phone sales that some of the orders that came in were like 10 times larger than they'd ever had before. And that's because I loved the company so much. But I was also learning sales, a new skill that I'd really self-taught myself because I didn't know how to do it. In fact, I remember going to bookstores back when bookstores were a thing and buying books on sales and reading them so I could learn how to be better at selling so I could sell more props. Um, unfortunately, the reason the company was in financial trouble was nothing to do with the fact they didn't have money and everything to do with the fact that the owner of the company was misappropriating the funds. He was buying cars and plasma screen TVs back before LCD screen TVs. That's what everyone used. Um, and long story short, he was ruining the company because he was spending the money before we could use it to make props. And essentially... We received money, he would spend it, and then we'd have nothing to fulfill the orders, and we would get in deeper and deeper debt. Um, so eventually, they let me go from the company because they couldn't afford to keep me, and I didn't have a non-compete. In fact, I didn't even have a contract because they were really doing things in many shady ways. So I built a competitive company. And one of the coolest things about my competitive company was because I knew how to sell and because I knew how to make the props, my company got really big. 
By really big, I mean I was doing 50,000 euros a month selling foam rubber swords all over the world. My company was called Excalibur. Calibur was spelled like a bullet. Um, and we were the ones that introduced latex swords to America. Up until then, Americans were really only fighting with pool noodles covered in, uh, with a PVC pipe inside. And we got them to use these foam, latex, beautiful, handcrafted artistic weapons. And I was the person uh, with my team that helped bring them across America. The problem was I was still in my 20s, early 20s. And despite having all this massive success, I started kind of collapsing uh, mentally. There was something about this that just didn't sit right with me. I, uh, I wasn't enjoying life. I was uh, running something that was more about being a business than being something that I loved anymore. I wasn't sword fighting anymore. I was focused on just selling as many swords as possible. And um, I wasn't hanging out with my friends. And the long and short of it is I built everything wrong. It was a lot of hard work. It needed me to work constantly. And the whole structure of what I built was just terrible. So because I hadn't you know, followed a successful blueprint, I kind of just like worked it all out myself. And even though I was making a lot of money, a lot of that money was disappearing. It was going into costs and mistakes and all sorts of other things. And so long story short, I ended up letting the business go. I sold it for two thousand pounds, a very small amount of money, just enough so I could get out of it, not have to worry about it. And I ended up moving back uh, in with my dad because I didn't have any money. And so I find myself once again, kind of like working out what I'm going to do in life. Um, and uh, I decided to become a janitor because that's what you do when you don't know what to do. You follow in your father's footsteps. And so I'm now working and I'm sweeping floors. I'm changing light bulbs. I'm taking the trash out. Um, and I'm thinking about the fact that I used to make a lot of money, but I never got to enjoy any of it because it all went back into the business. And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and now I'm just having people shout at me because I didn't clean the floor well enough. Right. So, so, you know, I, I decided I'm going to get back into doing business again. And so I did a whole bunch of different things. I did some work as a freelance public relations crisis specialist, and that's going to become very important. So make sure you remember that a crisis specialist is somebody that predicts a future problem before it happens on behalf of a company. Um, and I did some work as a, as a freelancer doing that. Um, and I had some experience with that because of running the company I was running. Like I said, there were a lot of complications and problems because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and so I was really good at seeing problems before they happened. Um, and then I ended up getting into dating. And if you know who I am, you'll know that I ended up being voted the number one dating coach in the world three times in a row. Um, I became very well known for dating. And because of that, I started to have a successful business. But this time around, I built it in a way that I knew what I was doing. It was scalable. There were systems. There were processes. Everything wasn't reliant completely on me. And within the dating company, I only did the things that I wanted to do, which is helping people improve their life. Because I've realized that that's actually what I love more than anything. I like helping people more than I like pretending to be a knight and run around a forest. I like helping people a lot more than I like uh, being hailed as you know, the most amazing person at sword fighting. I love helping people improve their life. That, that's my number one motivator in life. If, if I could do anything for the rest of my life, that's what I would do. If you remember when I said, if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. What I love is helping people. I like taking problems away from people like you and making sure you never have another problem where you have a solution to your problem. And the joy that I get when someone says, oh my God, you helped me, you changed my life, you fixed it, is indescribable. And the reason is because I grew up in such a bad way and I had so many problems myself it's kind of like I'm helping the old me, you know? So as much as I'd love to pretend I'm altruistic and I'm just helping you, it's kind of not that. I'm, I'm helping you not have to go through the stuff that I had to go through because there was nobody there to help me. Today, life's different. I now run seven different businesses that are my own. 
I consult for 600 CEOs, 600 business owners I'm a consultant for. Um, and this is now all based on a very simple five-step blueprint that I follow in all of my companies. And as long as I'm following my blueprint, I know that my company is going to grow, everything's going to be successful, and everything's going to be great. But even when you have a clear blueprint, things don't always go the way you want them to. Things aren't always as easy as you want them to be. It's not always smooth sailing. There are problems. There are complications that arise. Um, and this uh, program that you're watching, this, this video, this training, this training, I'm going to share with you a story about one of my businesses and how I followed my blueprint, but I want to show you what happened when I deviated from the blueprint. I want to show you that even though I was following it, there were problems and issues that turn up. And basically what I'm saying is nothing's perfect, but as long as you stick to the plan, you can get the kind of success that I got, which helped my business during 2020 grow 367% in a single year and go from me not owning the business at all at the beginning of the year to by the end of the year, it getting me an asset that is worth a million dollars. So from zero to a million dollars in a year isn't so bad. You just got to remember life doesn't always follow your plan. Even if you have a plan, life doesn't always follow it. So we'll start with talking about um, life with a monthly revenue of $51.53. So I'm never gonna forget, I walk into the room and I'm like, how much did you say our revenue was for the month? And James, who was currently managing my business at the time says, uh, uh, dude, I, I said $51.53. You mean we have to survive this entire month living on $51.53? That, that's not even enough for a day for one of us, dude. And there is two of us, not to mention all the other bills that we have for the company. So this was a brand new business that I had acquired very recently, which is a small game store that specializes in selling Dungeons and Dragons products, Warhammer 40,000 products, Magic the Gathering, and a bunch of other nerd stuff. Um, and this, was, this game store was based in a small town just outside of Austin, a place called Bastrop. And uh, we'd only been open a few months at this time. And he said to me in response, I'm sorry, dude, I was just following processes. Now, Normally, that wouldn't actually be that much of a problem because those processes would be things that I'd put in place. But this time, I had made a mistake, and I wanted to own this mistake because the processes he was following were created by his predecessor, the previous manager of the store, who created those processes. And the reason that predecessor wasn't there anymore is that I fired him for failing. So I just want you to remember that basically what happened here was I fired a guy for being useless at failing and did not create new processes to hand to the new guy. So of course, the new guy is just going to follow the old processes, which are so bad, I had to fire the guy. So this is my fault. But when you get bad news, your instinct is often to blame other people, right? You're like, no, you know what? This can't be my fault. You should have created better processes, right? You want to blame other people, but, but you can't. You really got to accept ownership in this. It's my fault. I was the one that fired the predecessor, and I should have made the new processes for the new guy to take over. So that $51.53 is my fault. No one else's, not my employee's fault. Now, um, lots of things had led up to this exact moment, okay? So first of all, I'd made a number of bad choices. Second of all, and I think one of the big things is I wasn't as present as I should have been. Like I said, I run seven companies. I consult for 600 companies. Not every single one of my projects gets the same amount of attention. And this particular business, I'd been neglecting, which isn't surprising really because it's the one that I would probably enjoy the most. So I kind of was distancing myself from it on purpose so I could focus on the bigger companies. But still, now I had a business that was not generating anywhere near the amount of money it needed to generate, and this was going to be a problem. So the biggest problem was the fact that I didn't take responsibility. And as a business owner, 
You have to take responsibility for absolutely everything that comes under your business. You know, you can try and blame your employees. You can try and blame uh, society. You can try and blame the media. But the reality is, if it's your business, you're in charge, you're responsible, and a failure is your fault. Now, I've always said that there are five parts to a successful business. And this is my smart blueprint, the blueprint that I follow whenever I'm building a business or consulting with another business to help them grow. This is one of the most important things, so make sure you write it down. S, staff. This is your team, the people that are working with you. You've got to look after them. They've got to be a good team. They've got to be managed, and you've got to take responsibility. You're a leader, and you lead from the front. S, staff. M, marketing. Marketing is all about learning what your customers want and finding those people. So if you can know what they want and you can find more people that want it, you will always have potential customers. So M, marketing. A, audience. Your audience are the people that might be interested in what you have to sell. So if I find someone uh, that I, I know what they want, I then want to bring them and collect them into a group of people that I can communicate with en masse. That is my audience. So I found them, I bring them together, and I want to be communicating with them. R, revenue. Revenue are the sales and sales processes you use. How am I going to get money from that audience in a way that doesn't upset them, doesn't make them feel pressured or weird or oversold to, and it just helps them out? T, testimonials. This is evidence that what you sell works. If you don't have testimonials, if you don't have people raving that what you sell actually works, then the whole thing collapses. Everyone's going to want to refund and you don't have a business. In this situation, I had clearly failed in the very first task, which is staff. I had the predecessor that created systems that weren't very good. Now, he told me he could create systems and I could rely on them. And the reality is I didn't check them. I didn't double check them. That was on me. His systems didn't work. He got fired because of that. And then the, those systems got handed to the new staff member who naturally followed bad systems. And of course, it was going to fail again. That was all on me. That was my mistake. Look, the decision to start a new business, grow an existing one, or collapse a business is one of the hardest. I'm now at a situation where this company hasn't made much money. I've got a staff member that hasn't been trained, and I've got a whole bunch of other things that are taking my attention. I've got to make the decision, what do I do here? Do I just collapse this business, try and grow it, start something new? What should I do? To me, it all comes down to something that I call bread and butter. Bread and butter is the amount of money you need to cover your basic bills. Not the amount of money that you'd like to earn, but the amount of money you'd need to actually cover the bills. Can you pay your rent? Can you pay your food? Can you pay your phone bill? Can you pay your insurance? Do you have uh, enough money for transportation? The end. It's not your, your, your gold subscription for Microsoft Xbox. It's not buying a video game once a week. It's not going out for a night in the town once a week. It's just the basics. You have to have enough money to cover the basics. Now, if you have enough uh, money to cover the basics, however many hours you've spent to cover the basics, the rest of your time can be used to grow, to make more money. And all that additional money is like pocket money. It's free spending, invest it, grow, do something great with it. So um, as long as you have the bread and butter covered, then you can always do something else. So for example, if you have to work a 40-hour week at a job to make enough money that just covers your bills, the rest of your time outside of those 40 hours can be used to grow a business. There's a great phrase that I often share with my friends, which is business owners are the only people in the world that will work 80 hours a week to avoid working 40. It sounds crazy, but many business owners don't actually make as much as a salaried employee. They're working overtime so they don't have to go and get a job for 40 hours a week. 
many of those business owners would probably be better off working a 40-hour week and getting a really good salary and then spending 20 hours a week starting a business on the side. What you can do then is that extra money you make is pocket money. It's bonus money. And as you grow that business through systems, not working extra hours, through following a smart blueprint or a plan, not working around the clock 24-7, that business should start to grow. As the business grows, then you'll get to a point where you make enough money reliably from the business that you may want to consider quitting the day job. At that point, you lose the 40 hours of work that you needed to for your bread and butter. The 20 hours of work you're doing every week is paying for the bread and butter with maybe a little bit extra. And now you can add an extra 20 hours a week into the business. You're not only working a 40-hour week, you know your bread and butter is covered and you're making more money. One of the biggest revelations that James had, which is the staff member that was running, uh, that runs the store, in fact, to this day, that runs that business, uh, was recently when the business started growing and making very large sums of money. In fact, at the time of recording this, uh, we did $20,000 um, in the last month alone from that one business. And James said to me, but I didn't work any extra hours. And I was like, of course not, because we don't get paid by the hour. In the same way that when I was a mover, I got paid by the job, not by the hour. That meant the amount of jobs I could do in a day dictated how much I earned, not how many hours I worked. If I worked on one job and it took me 12 hours, my tips were probably going to be less, right? You get paid less because I didn't move very fast. On the other hand, if I ran and moved faster, then I could maybe fit two or occasionally three jobs in a single day. I'd get paid triple for working the same amount of hours. Now, sure, I'd be working harder in that situation, but that's because I didn't really have systems. When you build a business, if you base it on systems, then you can scale them up and make more money as you go. So um, if you are already having a job, if you've already got a job and you're working 40 hours a week and you've got enough money to make your bread and butter, then what can help is to put aside an amount of time every day to build a business. For example, you could say you're going to work an extra two hours, five days a week on a work day on the business and one day on the weekend. That is actually not a lot of extra hours. It's like 18 hours of, of work extra a week, two hours a day for 10, and eight hours on a Saturday, say, for example. But it still gives you plenty of free time. You have all of Sunday free. You have all of Saturday afternoon and evening free. You can still go out. And your work day is only two hours extra every day. If you're willing to maybe wake up earlier and do those two hours in the morning, which is what I'd recommend, it doesn't even impact your evenings. You still get to your evenings, except maybe going to bed a little bit earlier to make sure you get some good sleep before the next day. Either way, this is a very easy way to make it work. On that particular month, when we'd only made $51.53, I had to take money from my savings to pay James and to cover all of the costs or the bread and butter of the business to cover that bad month. While that solved the problem that we had at the time, you cannot do this forever. And I have seen so many businesses pull from savings, pull from you know, whatever cash they can borrow to try and keep a business afloat. You do not have a business if money is coming out of your pocket to keep it afloat. And I didn't realize this at the time when I did that, but I was putting more than just my savings and my finances on the line and putting, uh, I was putting a lot more into jeopardy than I realized than, than just that money. So at this point, I'm faced with a very clear decision. I can fold the business or I can double down and make it grow. But for me, there was only one clear choice, only one thing I could do in this situation. And for that, I want to ask you, what would you do for your children? My son looks at me and he says, dad, fix it. Now, this is a few months before the situation I just described. Um, my, dad, my son came home. Uh, it was a Wednesday night and he's got tears running down his face. He's like, dad, fix it. Please fix it. I'm like, fix what, bud? What's wrong? 
And he'd just been uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons at the local game store because we had a small game store in town that kids could go to to play Dungeons and Dragons. And he's upset and he's like, they're closing the game store. And, uh, and he's like, you fix businesses, fix it. Now, I'm used to fixing big businesses. The companies that work with me make seven, sometimes eight figures a year. Uh, case in point, I helped a client last week buy a new business for $6.5 million. Uh, one of my other clients does something like $42 million a year. And in fact, I just helped a big shipping company that does $165 million a year. These are the kind of businesses that I fix. This situation was a tiny little gaming store in our local town that was collapsing, but it was a very real problem because we live an hour away from any major town that has a game store. In fact, that one little game store is really the only means of entertainment for a lot of the nerdy teenagers and you know, the younger kids that live in our local area. And if you remember anything about my childhood, that escapism, imagination, and those nerdy board games mean a lot to me. So he'd struck a chord. I had two issues here. Number one, I was not gonna let the only source of entertainment for the local you know, kids that wanted to play board games um, and nerdy games in the area disappear. And two, how the hell can I call myself an expert of fixing businesses if the first time my son comes to me and says, dad, can you please fix this business? I tell him no. So for me, it didn't matter how small it is. I had to win. I had to be my, my son's hero. So um, they, this particular game store sold a number of different products. It sold Pokemon. It sold Yu-Gi-Oh! It sold Dungeons and Dragons. It sold Warhammer 40,000. And it would rent out space to kids to play video games. And they had a few generic board games. Uh, but for this particular business, um, the, the business was kind of built really badly. They were losing $1,000 every single month, and it was getting harder and harder for them to keep alive, right? Imagine going to work every day, busting ass on a 50-hour week, and at the end of the week, you're $1,000 lower, or at the end of the month, you're $1,000 lower in your bank account than you were at the beginning of the month. So this was just getting worse and worse and worse, and the guy didn't know what he was doing. Um, now, the good news is the investment in a business that doesn't make any money is very low. There's no point buying the actual business itself because it's a failure. Most of the time, you're just buying the assets, which in this case was the stock, the things that they had for sale, which was a bunch of products no one wanted. It was a bunch of board games that no one played, a bunch of old editions of things that weren't even usable anymore, that they followed like old rules. Um, it was just a whole bunch of stuff no one wanted. But the guy that owned the business couldn't leave unless somebody bought all that stuff and no one was buying it, so he was stuck. Essentially, what I would be doing is buying all of the inventory left in the store and starting from scratch using their point of sale system, which is like the thing they used to check out. And of course, I'd be taking over the rent and all the bills. So um, this is a, a crazy situation to find myself in, but it also wasn't too much money to be able to do. So I knew in taking over this situation that the fastest route to money is to focus on selling the solution to the problem that your, your largest audience has. So in this situation, the audience was obvious. It's the customers that come to the game store, right? So that's the first thing we want to do. And the problem was that their store was going to close. This is known as an opportunity. Whenever you've got a group of people that have a problem and you can see clearly what that problem is and you've got access to that group of people, if you can spot the solution and you can provide it, that's an opportunity, okay? So that's one of the fastest ways to making money. Now, um, it is a lot easier to do this than it is to start a game store or completely from scratch in a new area. For example, if I had to completely start a new game store, I would have to find all the inventory myself. I'd have to get all the shelves in. I'd have to put in the point of sale material. I would have to uh, find the location of where this thing's going to be. 
And then I'd have to let all the people in the area know that I had opened up or hope they would walk past my, strip, my store and walk in, right? That's a lot harder than the situation I was presented with. So this situation looked pretty good. Now, normally when I start a business, I follow the following plans. I'm gonna give you the plan I normally do. So I know that the fastest route to making a successful business or making a business successful is to bring in sales first. And then what I do is I let the business evolve based on that initial money. So if I can get a bunch of sales, I can take that money and I can develop the business and make it better. Now, let's just say you've got a dream to make a theme park like Disney World, or maybe you've got a dream to create the best training program for athletes, right? You want to help top Olympics, uh, top Olympic champions, or maybe you've got a dream to make the best cake decorating company in the world, um, or maybe you just don't even know what you want to do at all. Like, I have no idea. In any of these situations, um, if you do not already have an audience, a market, or a bunch of people to get it started, you're going to fail. You're going to struggle. So it's often better into starting with what you've got and then reinvest the money into building what you want. So for example, I might like the idea of generating a massive theme park, but I'm going to have to get a hell of a lot of money and I'm going to have to find a massive audience. That's difficult. What I could do is I could instead run a one-off Halloween experience, like a corn maze or something like that, um, that I could create for a local community, maybe like a local church or a local school. That way I've already got an audience and while that's not going to make me lots and lots of money, it's going to give me some really good experience at running an event. I'm going to have to deal with things like insurance and ticket sales and all that good stuff. And it will still make me a little bit of money that I can use to reinvest to start moving forward. And after I do more and more of these Halloween events to make the whole thing bigger, who knows, in the future, I could build a Halloween theme park, something like that. Um, if I wanted to create a training program for top athletes, initially, I probably don't know any top athletes and I don't have lots and lots of clients, so I'm not going to make a lot of money but I could help out athletes at a local school in a rising uh, sports team, uh, maybe like a, a, a local youth football league. And if I can help them increase and succeed, then I can take those testimonials and that evidence, and I can even charge some money to do some additional coaching outside of season, um, use that money once again to expand my growth into other areas and help more people. And then I can get to where I want to be. Or if I wanted to create the best cake decorating company in the world, Instead, I could just run cake decorating parties to local communities. I could reach out to, you know, mums in the area, do happy like birthday cake decorating classes or what have you, just to get the supplies and the money that I need, and then I can expand and grow, right? So it often makes a lot more sense to find the community you have got access to, work with that, and kind of start the business in the best way you can, and then build it up and grow. Now, um, if you have no idea what you're going to do, right? If you're like, I do not know what business I'm going to start, then the best business to start is to do a business that is needed, but no one else wants to do because they always make the most money. So for example, garbage collection, window cleaning, uh, cars, uh, car cleaning, where you go to someone's house and clean their car, lawn services, all the stuff that isn't glamorous, cleaning houses, the stuff no one wants to do. If you'll do that, it's actually faster to make money that way. And again, you can take that money and reinvest it. And you can always hire somebody to take over that business or sell the business uh, once you've built it and it's generated you some cash. So if you don't know what to do, it's usually better to just do something that is needed, but isn't glamorous. Okay. Now in this situation, I already had an audience. I had a bunch of people that wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons and Warhammer and Magic the Gathering. Um, and I also had the product or service they wanted. Well, I didn't have the exact product they wanted. I had the old one they didn't want to buy anymore, but I could get access to it. Um, but I've never run a retail store. So before I could run this, I had to filter this through a system I've created which are the 10 different business models to see if there's an opportunity I'm missing. 
Before I work into a business, I don't just want to go in and be like, I know exactly what I'm doing. We're going to do this. Because then everything's coming from my head, everything I'm inventing on the spot, and it might not be good. It's much better to be more open-minded about it, take a typical business model, like in this situation, a retail store, and see if I can change it up a bit by fitting a retail store into 10 different business models. By the end of it, I may find that the original retail model isn't the best model to use, and one of the other 10 is a better example. For example, the uh, hairdressing salon, right? If you go and get your hair done at your local barbers, that is usually kind of like a, a service. You go in, you pay them to cut your hair, they cut your hair, and then they're done. But we could use a different business model. What if instead I used the subscription or gym membership model? In this situation, I would get paid a monthly fee to cut someone's hair once a month. But I get paid whether they come in or not. Now, considering most people tend to forget to get their hair cut on a regular basis, I'm going to receive my fee for cutting their hair. And if they don't turn up, then they miss out on me cutting their hair. As a bonus, if they're on a subscription, they could come twice a month. So they can come once to get their hair done, once to get a touch-up. So essentially, they're going to get two haircuts for the price of one if they're on the subscription. But I know that some people will take that and many people will be lazy. So some people will take two, some people will take one, and a whole bunch of people will take every other month. Either way, I've got guaranteed income whether people come in or not. That means in the case of a government lockdown, I've got a good chance that I'm still going to receive subscription money and maybe able to work out a way that I can do remote haircuts or come up with a solution to that problem, right? So um, I can also tell people that, you know, if you do cancel your subscription um, during this time, um, you can sign back up again later on, but it might be a little bit more expensive if you do that. If you're willing to support me during this time by keeping your subscription open, then when we do come back up, I'll give you a whole bunch of products to say thank you. So there's ways you can negotiate in that situation. And of course, some people say, no, I'm going to cancel my subscription. But some people who are affluent may say, you know what, keep the subscription going. I want to support you during these times. And I look forward to getting the free goodies when you're open up. Right? Just being willing to have that conversation can keep you alive. So for a hair salon, the subscription model might be better. So I took the retail store and I plugged it in to all 10 of the different business models. And I'm going to share all 10 of those business models with you right now. So these are the only 10 business models that exist in the entire world. Now, not all of them are going to apply straight for any business that you want to do, but you can plug it in, but you'll do it and you'll be like, that's just weird. That's not what I want to do. And that's fine. But the idea is to get your brain thinking of all the different ideas. The first is to rent something that you own. So this could be if you have a home, you're a landlord and you rent out the use of the home. It could also be if you have a car and you rent out the use of your car via one of those car rental apps. But it could also be you buy an expensive piece of camera equipment or 3D printing equipment and you allow people to rent it off you to use it because they don't want to spend a lot of money to own the device. They just want to use it as a one-off, right? So renting something you own. In this situation, he was renting out the gaming area to kids that wanted to play video games. So he already had a model like that. Um, and I could look at that and say, okay, that is a potential business model that I could work with. Next, the second business model is to buy low and sell at a higher price. So this is kind of when you buy something in bulk and then you sell off the individual items. I've always thought that if I get completely bankrupt one day, I will go to Costco, I will pay for my membership, I will buy a giant thing of small bottles of water for $3, giving me 24 bottles of water, and then stand by the side of the road in the hot sun selling those bottles at a dollar a pop. I convert $3 into $24, which, by the way, is a better return that you'll get on almost any stock exchange in the world, um, and then I can start building up my business again. The reality is, because I know how to think like that, I'll never find myself in that situation, but it's always good to be prepared. And once again, that's that crisis public relations person coming out of me. I can't help but think about a worst-case scenario. So um, now, um, I was considering in this situation doing that at a later date. 
For example, paintbrushes are something that people tend to use a lot of when they're painting the Dungeons and Dragons or Warhammer figures. And rather than selling the paintbrushes that existed elsewhere in the world, which can actually be quite difficult to get hold of because they often end up um, uh, with a supply chain problem, um, I thought it might be better if I just manufactured them myself and sold them um, in bulk uh, or, or bought them in bulk and then sold them at a higher price. So that was one of the models I came up with. To this day, I haven't actually done that one yet, but I have developed it. It's something I'm looking at. And it's something I might roll out in the future. The next business model, the third one, is to sell or negotiate something you don't own. So this would be, uh, for example, a realtor, somebody who is selling something that they don't own. Um, this is something I thought about with Magic the Gathering. So Magic the Gathering um, is a card collecting game where you play a wizard who tries to defeat your opponent. But the cards have an inherent very high value. In fact, some of the cards go up to $100,000 for a single card. That's the Black Lotus, which is known as the rarest magic card of all. Um, now, what was interesting about this is I thought I could do consignment. And in fact, we ended up, in fact, we ended up rolling out consignment. So what we allow people to do is we allow them to purchase a folder and we store their folder in a safe in the store. And when somebody wants to buy a rare card, they can come and look through the folders of other people's collection and we will sell that card on behalf of the person that owns the card in return for a portion of that sale. And this has been a very popular business model for in the store. And a lot of people come and bring us entire collections. The only rule we have is they can only bring very rare cards, you know, because we don't want to have that much in the store. Um, so we only sell the most exquisite, the rarest cards, and we sell it on behalf of the clients. And we found that that's a really great model for us. Next up, you have the publishing or producing model. This is where you publish someone else. Um, you may think of this like a book publisher who publishes authors, or maybe a producer like a Sony Records that produces music artists. Now, um, this for the game store would be something like publishing a new board game maker. So if there was somebody that had invented a new board game and no one really knew about it, we could help them get the word out about their game and uh, get publishing rights to that game. So we would be the ones focused on selling in our store and trying to sell distribution to other stores. Again, it was an interesting idea, not one of the ones I was that interested in, but it was worth writing down. Next is I could buy a franchise. Now, a franchise is somebody has an entire kind of like business in a box system where you pay them an amount of money for them to give you their brand, their marketing, their aid in running business, and they help you set up the whole thing. Because you're buying a franchise, it's a lot more reliable than trying to do it on your own. And you've got the help of some very experienced people who have set up other franchises like yours everywhere else. So you can just follow their business model. And of course, the profits come in. Um, one of the, from a game store perspective, uh, one of the franchises that exists in the world is a place called Game Castle. And actually the owner of Game Castle is a good friend of mine. So it definitely occurred to me to just contact my friend, buy a Game Castle franchise and just turn the entire store into a Game Castle franchise. But this would take a large sum of cash. And while I valued my friend's experience and I do like the franchise, um, I just have worked with much bigger companies myself. And the challenge of doing this completely on my own was far more interesting. Next, you can manufacture or create something physical or digital. So in this situation, um, manufacturing something could be uh, manufacturing our own game rather than publishing somebody else's. Um, it could be setting up the ability to manufacture paints or something like that. But we can also create something digital, like uh, training tutorials of how to paint things or how to play games or how to get all your family playing Dungeons and Dragons and they call you a nerd, right? We could do things like that. Um, and it was very interesting to us to either create our own training tutorials or, as I said earlier, creating our own paintbrushes, which is something we thought about. So manufacturing something is an option that we considered. You can also sell your services by the hour. This will be like a freelancer, somebody who does an exchange of services by the hour. 
One of the things that we thought about for this is that we could do painting tuition. So we could charge people to teach them how to paint and organize classes, or we could organize a summer camp. So we could invite people to come in, you know, drop your kids off with us during the summer, during the day, you go to work, pick them up at the end of the day, and they've been playing board games all day. It's a great way, kind of like a daycare, but not for older kids. So that way the parents don't have to worry about their kids being bored at home and the kids get to play board games. So that's one of the business ideas that we thought about. And if there hadn't been a global pandemic, I suspect it's something we would have done over the summer. But due to the pandemic happening, that business model isn't something we could do. When you're looking at selling your services by the hour, this can be a trap, however. And a lot of business owners do this. You want to, as often as possible, be able to sell a single hour to multiple people rather than give people one-on-one attention. If you sell one-on-one attention, you're really just giving yourself another job, right? So even if you're charging $50 an hour, if I can only work with one client, I need a second client and a second hour in order to make $100. If my business model is designed in a way where I can have two clients in the same hour and I teach them the same thing or do the same work for both of them, I can get paid $100 with two clients for one hour. That saves my time and it's what we call scalable. Whenever I try to charge by the hour, I try to make sure it's something that can be done for an entire group. For example, I'm not doing one-on-one painting lessons, I'm doing group painting lessons, where you could have 50 to 100 people in the same room in a seminar style, all learning. The benefit of this is they pay less because I don't need to make as much money from a single student, and I can work less, so I get paid more per hour. Um, Or, like I said, doing something like a summer camp where you get a whole bunch of kids in um, and you've got guaranteed income for as long as they're in the summer camp with the bonus that you can have as many kids as you can fit, providing you've got enough uh, uh, observers to look after. Next up, you can retail something direct to the consumer. So this is literally just having the shop. In this situation, that's the obvious business model. I have a shop and I retail things to the consumer. I buy multiple things from different distributors at a discount and display them in my shop and help people buy them. Um, Another model is, and this is the ninth business model, is network marketing. Now, network marketing is where you sell products for a company via organizing events. Now, uh, a lot of people back in the day would call these pyramid schemes, uh, but then they shifted to multi-level marketing. But essentially, it's the same concept. It's one company has manufactured a product, and you will organize networking events or parties to show off that product to try and sell it. Not really a business model that I'm interested in, but it's worth mentioning because it is one of the 10 business models that exist in the world. Um, and uh, we could you know, do that to organize selling paints or something like that. But again, not really something I'm interested in. Which brings us to the 10th model, which is one of my favorites, which is the subscription model. So this is like box services, like uh, the Dollar Shave Club or Stitch Fix, where you pay money every single month to receive a box of goods, and you don't really choose what you get. You just get given it, but you trust the company, so you don't have to make the decision. Uh, Gym membership is another one of those. You pay for the gym equipment to be able to go and use it whenever you want, but you pay whether you use it or not. Um, Now, this is something that we considered we could do by sending people pre-packaged Dungeons & Dragons quests. So we write the quest, and every month send you a new quest, for you to go on an adventure with your friends. Something we thought about, but ultimately not something that we wanted to do. Essentially, it was very obvious that I was gonna be doing the retail model, right? Because it's an actual shop. However, when you grow a business, it will sometimes take you to new models. And as you're gonna find out by the end of today, we ended up shifting to a very different model that ended up being very successful for us. And it's why this month, at the time of recording this, we did $20,000. this, but this exercise is what made me aware of all the other business models, and they just got stored in the back of my head as I went out with the first one. If you remember what I said earlier, you want to start with that which is easy, and that can be done quickly, and then you can evolve into the better thing later. So in this situation, I took my money from, uh, from my savings, and off I went and, uh, and made it happen. All right. Um, this is great. You guys are getting some good gold nuggets. 
Um, what model do coaching programs fall into? Do me a favor, put that in the Q&A, please, Zach, if you wouldn't mind. Um, that can help with that. But actually, your coaching program could technically be all 10 if you think about it, right? Because you could have a subscription coaching program. You could uh, charge by the hour. You could do network marketing where people come to a party. Um, and actually, that's what they do for housing coaching. And they teach you how to buy houses. They invite you to a party to, or they invite you to a seminar to learn about houses. And then they sell you on their housing coaching, like buying homes. You know what I mean? So all coaching can be all 10. In fact, any business model can be all 10. That's the important thing to know. You just have to choose the one you want to do. You could do email coaching where you just send people one email a week um, and they pay $5 for a single email, right? You can do all of them. That's still coaching. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.